Our text this morning is Psalm 133. As we uh, do have a special service today, we are ordaining uh, an elder, we are installing two elders, and we're uh, ordaining and installing a deacon. So here, our text for this Lord's Day, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's give thanks together. Father in heaven, we praise you and give you thanks for your word. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit today that we might receive it, that we might hear it, that we might live by it, that it might change us and transform us. Father, we thank you for giving to your church officers, men who have uh, been set apart to serve. And we pray that today our, uh, what we do here would be pleasing in your sight and that you would indeed fill these men with your Holy Spirit and strengthen them for the task that we have set them aside to do, that you are calling them to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, my uh, son at the dinner table uh, said that uh, his, his big assignment he's working on right now in school is memorizing the preamble to the Constitution. He's doing that in fourth grade. I did that in the eighth grade. I went to public school, so that means I was twice as far behind as he is now. If you do the math, eighth grade, uh, I did the U.S. Constitution. But I really remember going through the Constitution in eighth grade, and I remember my teacher, Mr. Harris, hammered into us as we studied the United States Constitution. The United States is not a democracy. And he would, he would pound his desk and he had this yardstick that he would slap the desk with. And he would say, the United States is not a democracy. The United States is a constitutional republic. We are a republic who elects uh, representatives to rule over us. We are not a direct uh, democracy. Democracy means rule of the people. And in a direct democracy, the people vote on everything. They decide everything. The people are ruled only by themselves. And, and the framers of the United States Constitution openly and repeatedly criticized such democracy. And so Mr. Harris, my eighth grade history teacher, did such a good job of pounding that into me that I still can't hear a politician talk about democracy without hearing Mr. Harris's voice well up inside of me and say, we're not a democracy. We are a, a constitutional republic. Or when our, our, our leaders talk about the goodness of democracy or making the world safe for democracy, it's that, it's that same echo that I hear in my mind. And so I was convinced and completely sold on the fact the United States is not a democracy, but it was many, many, many years later that it dawned on me that not only is the United States not a direct democracy, neither is the church a democracy. I grew up in congregationalism where we had tedious church-wide business meetings on the smallest issue. You couldn't fix a bathroom fixture without a business meeting. You couldn't paint the nursery unless we all decided together where we were going to buy the paint and who was going to do the painting. You know, the people who wield the paintbrush, those are the people you got to look out for in, in, in the church. Those are the people that wield all the power, the people that turn the wrenches and fix the, the sink in the bathroom. And, and so I, I grew grew up with this idea that the church is a democracy, but God did not design his church to be a democracy. The church is a monarchy. 
we are ruled by a king. We are ruled by King Jesus. He is our head. He is our representative before God, the Father, and he is king over all the earth. And we never get to vote on him. In fact, we didn't vote on him to put him in office and we don't get to reelect him and he's never up for election. Nobody gets to veto his laws. We don't ratify his commands. He rules as king and we submit. And if we are to live happy lives and blessed lives, we will submit to his perfect rule over us. He is king. And, and monarchy is not equivalent to tyranny. The fact that the church is a monarchy with Jesus, the king, as our head does not mean that the church uh, is under a tyrant. Jesus is a good king. Jesus is a benevolent king. Jesus is a loving, merciful king. And he rules and we submit. That's how it works. And the king has his court. Like all kings have their court of, of servants, uh, the kings have men who serve in various capacities under them. Just like any king, Jesus, the shepherd king, has under shepherds. Jesus gives to his church pastors and elders and deacons and teachers. And they, who, who he has given the church, they are to lead under Jesus as they submit to Jesus. We submit to them and to each other. Now, now because our king, Jesus is not only our king, but he's also our bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. And so as a good, as a good husband, he listens to his bride. He asks her, what do you want? What can I do for you? How can I love you and how can I serve you? And so uh, he gives us the men that we ask for, and he gives us the men that we set aside. And this, this is over and over in the scriptures. Even though God's, God's kingship over Israel is never in doubt in the scriptures, as we studied in 1 Samuel these last several weeks, even Saul is put before the people, and all the people say, long live the king. We'll see David. David has to gain the hearts of the people. God has chosen him, but, but David will have to win the people before he can rule as, as king. In, in the first chapters of Acts, the church sets aside two men. They nominate two men to take the place of Judas, and then they end up choosing one. And, and later the people choose seven men to serve as deacons. The apostles laid hands on those deacons and the spirit blessed their work and their ministry. And so when it comes to the under shepherds, when it comes to those who serve in the various offices of the church, the, the groom asks the bride, who do you want? Who do you, who do you trust? Who do you love? Who do you want serving over you? You end up with then a kind of representative government. Man, it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not an accident that the United States ended up with a Presbyterian form of government. Uh, there are lots of, lots of things that have been written and said about that, but, but we ended up with uh, elders. We elect elders to go serve for us in, in Washington. Uh, they, they are our representatives. And so as far as the kingdom of God goes, God has always, God has always ruled his people and he has always ordered them under organized ordained leadership. There, there has never been a time 
where God has instituted a democracy. There has never been a time where God has put his seal of approval on anarchy and just let his people do whatever seems good to them without any instituted offices. God has never, God has never instituted the tyranny of the majority or, or mob rule. God has always, from the Hebrew scriptures forward, he has instituted uh, he has instituted and given representatives for his people to be their priests and their kings and their prophets and their apostles and their pastors and their elders and their deacons, men who are set aside and anointed to lead and teach and make judgments on matters, to admit people to the church through the sacraments, to excommunicate people who are not living uh, in uh, a way that reflects the goodness and the mercy and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to encourage the saints in the faith and to protect the church from error. In every age, God has given these servants to the church. And so as he gives these men to the church, we're to view them as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to view them as, as, as Jesus's spokesmen. And we're to give them honor and submission. At the end of Hebrews, uh, we, we get a couple of things about this that, that remind us of this. And, and, it, and it's written in such a way to say, oh, can, can you say that? Can you say that about elders and pastors? Can you say, as, as uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. A couple of things there that immediately kind of grate against our American sensibilities is first of all, that anybody would rule over us. We, we rule ourselves, right? Who, who rules over me? I'm, I'm independent. I'm my own boss, but uh, the, the scriptures are clear that, that elders are called to rule and that rule is to be obeyed and submitted to. Are they men? Yes. Are they sinners? Yes. Are they plagued by the same human frailty that you are? Absolutely. They are not Jesus himself, but they are under Jesus. And James says, and, and so also does the author of Hebrews say, they have a stricter judgment. They're held to a higher standard. They, are, they must give an account for the way that they uh, conduct their business and the way that they live. So serving in this way in the Lord's house is not something you take lightly. And it's not something you do because you want power or prestige or authority or notoriety. Rather, it's a responsibility that you take on only with fear and trembling and sobriety. So in the old covenant, when priests and kings and prophets were ordained, oil was poured on their head they were anointed with oil to signify the special blessing of the Holy Spirit that was being poured out upon them. They were set apart before the people to indicate this is the man that God wants you to love and honor and follow. And so in Psalm 133 that we read just a few minutes ago, David pulls out this image of the ordination and the anointing of Aaron to speak about the sweetness of the unity and the harmony of the people of God. And on first reading, the psalm might sound a little obtuse. It, it, it might seem a little confusing. We're talking about oil running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, all the way down his robe to the hem of his garment. 
And then we get this little bit about dew on Mount Hermon. What's that all about? And somehow, this is a, this is a psalm about the unity and the brotherhood and the harmony of God's people. How, what, what do these things have to do with each other? Well, I'm going to unpack it, but I'm going to get to the end from the beginning and say this. The short answer is God keeps his people under his ordained representatives. God protects and feeds and shelters and guards his people. He unifies them under his servant shepherds, under his under shepherds. Let's briefly, let's pull out this image of this oil flowing down the beard, the beard of Aaron, all the way to the hem of his robe. And let's, let's think about the act of anointing in old covenant ordinations. And even this morning, as I was reading back through this again, I thought, oh man, maybe, maybe we should rethink this. Maybe we should just pour oil on our, on our ordained men. Wouldn't that be something? And I, I need to study a little bit more. Why don't we do that in the new covenant? But in, in old covenant ordinations, they did use oil. It was probably olive oil, but in the book of Exodus, we're told that the perfumer made the oil for um, the, the priestly ordination. So it, so it came from a perfumer, and so it was probably something that smelled good. It was aromatic, like the oil that, that Mary used to anoint Jesus with before his crucifixion. There is a world of olfactory information in the Bible if we pay attention to it. Uh, there's so much about smells. God's people would have smelled different, obviously, from the nations around them because of their diet. If you've ever been around people with a vastly different diet from your own, people from different countries, they smell different. Why do they smell so different? It's because they have such a different diet. Uh, God's people would have smelled different from the pagan nations because of their diet, also because of their hygiene, because of their uh, laws of purification, and because when they went to worship, it was full of, of barbecue, right? They're, they're putting animals on the, on the altar, and, and you're smelling this, this rich uh, beef and the birds that, that were put on the altar, the goats. And there was also the, um, the incense as well. When you came home from temple, you smelled like it. Everybody would have known where you had been because you carried in your garments and in your hair and in your skin the smell of worship. And added to this, now we have this sweet-smelling oil that, that is poured out on, on the ordained, and you're tapping into that acute sense of smell that we all know. We, it's hard to do anything it's hard to concentrate if you're in a room with something that smells bad. We, we talk about all the time, we talk about this doesn't pass the sniff test, right? What do you mean by that? Does this, does this literally smell? No, but it, it's, it taps into that innate sense that something is, something is wrong. We say, this doesn't smell good or this, this smells bad. We smell our food before we eat it. Uh, if you get something out of the refrigerator, you're not sure if that date is law or just a suggestion. And you peel back the lid and you say, you smell it. We smell our beer and we smell our wine before we drink it. And that's part of the enjoyment, the smell. The oil of ordination then was deliberately made to smell a certain way. And that smell was an identifier of the uniqueness of the office, as well as associating the priest or the prophet or the king, associating him with all of the blessing and richness and health that he was to bring to God's people. And so the smell of the oil would have tapped into that indescribable sense that this is good. This is, this is 
right. This is holy. Everything is good here. Not only did the oil smell good, but oil, as you know, was burned for light. Oil was burned in the lamps of the tabernacle and in the temple. Oil was burned also in the home. Oil itself, oil shimmers when you pour it out. It captures the light. Oil plays with the light. It makes the light sparkle. And you couldn't have much lasting light in the, in the ancient world without oil. Oil is also illumination. Oil gives light. Oil smells good. The oil of ordination smells good. Oil gives light. Oil was medicinal. You anoint the sick. The good Samaritan poured oil on the injured man's wounds. Remember, oil has healing properties. Certain oils can fight off infection. Certain oils can, can fight or cure inflammation. Not only that, but on top of all this, oil has dietary benefits. Food tastes better when you fry it in oil. Oil makes vegetables almost edible when you put oil on vegetables. Uh, so all of these good things that oil does, oil smells good, it gives light, it heals, it makes food taste better. And when you pour it on the head of the ordained, you're saying all of these benefits and all of these properties, all of these sweet benefits of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is light, the Holy Spirit who is health, who is sweetness, the Holy Spirit is being poured on you. And this is what we expect you to be now as a spirit-filled servant of the living God. We are setting you apart because your life is to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice. You are to give light. You are to illuminate God's word and to shine the light in dark places and to bind up wounds, you to heal, to stave off the corrupting infection of sin, to make all good things sweeter and more enjoyable. This is what we want from you. That's why we're pouring the salad dressing all over your head. It's because that's what we want you to be. We're pouring this oil on you because this is, what, this is what we want you to be. And when this oil is poured on the head of the ordained, it's not just a little bit. It's, it's not just a little dab. It's not just, whoop, you're ordained. There's a little bit. This oil runs down Aaron's beard in the psalm all the way down to the edge of his garments. It's like all of God's blessings and all of his benefits. I never want to cease grasping this. And I, I want us to always remember that when Jesus made wine for the wedding, he didn't bring a bottle. He made gallons and gallons and gallons of wine. When he gave bread and fish to the multitudes on two different occasions, there was so much left over that they had to pick up the leftovers and the fragments in baskets after he was done. This is the way that God blesses. God is not a Scrooge. God is not miserly. When he pours out his blessings, it's more than you can contain. And so when he pours out the oil of ordination on his men, on his priests, it goes all over. It gets, it gets everywhere. It's from his head to his feet. This oil that you can't hold in your hand. Try to, this afternoon, do an experiment. Try to hold oil in the palm of your, it runs through your fingers. You can't hold on to it. That's sort of like uh, God's blessings are to be treated by us as well. Yeah, we get them, but they run through our hands and we give them to other people. This, this oil that, that drips all the way off, casting, cascading down from the head to the feet, shows us the direction that all blessing and all goodness flows. Blessing flows from the head to the rest of the body. Just like you and I, we are blessed in Jesus, who is our head. 
He is our representative before God the Father. God has shown favor to Jesus. God has accepted the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has accepted the obedience and the sacrifice of our head. And so because we're his body and we're united to him, the blessings flow from the head to the edges of the garments all the way down to his little toe, all the way from the head to the rest of the body. And this is the way God's blessing goes. God's favor rests on Jesus, the head, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out on Jesus now flows down the body to his extremities. This is another picture of the way that, that God's blessing and favor flows. Does he bless us individually? Yes. Does he bless us personally? Sure, yeah, in many different ways. But primarily, our blessing is covenantal. Our blessing comes to us through our head. And this is how he has set up things to work in the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes, that pastors, teachers, and elders are God's gifts to the church. They're his instrument of blessing to you. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, that's why you don't want to grieve them. That's why, that's why you don't want to make their life difficult because that's, that's not only unprofitable for them, but he says that's unprofitable for you. They're your gifts. They're an instrument of blessing. And that's where this bit about the dew on Hermon comes in. Uh, let me read that again. Uh, it's such a short psalm. But hear it again. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. From there, Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forevermore. What's so special about Mount Hermon? I mean, why couldn't we say Mount Zion or Mount Sinai? What's, what's the deal? Mount Hermon is at the northern border of the land of promise. And it's one of the highest points on that northern border. Mount Hermon is a snow-capped mountain. And so the dew that descends on Mount Hermon is significant in that the lightest precipitation at the top of Mount Hermon joins, as the ice caps melt, joins with the headwaters of the Jordan River and eventually becomes this mighty rushing river that feeds and waters the whole land of promise. So droplets of water all the way up on Mount Hermon become the mighty rushing Jordan River by the time that you get down to the land. Dew throughout the Bible is synonymous with blessing. Look up the dew of heaven. Over and over and over, we get that phrase. Manna on the ground is compared to the dew. Dew is a sign that God is taking care of us. Even when we're sleeping, he's watering the earth. He's caring for his creation. Even when we're not watching, we wake up and we see God has been faithful while we were asleep. And he's been tending to his creation. So... David in the psalm, he talks about the dew on the top of the mountain, which eventually waters and feeds the land. And we get this image over and over in the Bible, like the rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden to water all four corners of the earth. We have blessing and promise and life that start in the garden, but the rivers flow out to water the whole earth. In Ezekiel's image of the heavenly temple, what's flowing out of the temple but a river, and where does it go? It waters the entire earth. 
The, the dew echoes that image of the oil being poured on the head that flows to the feet. The head is blessed with wisdom and insight, with gifts and courage. The head is blessed with spiritual strength. And by the time it gets down to the body, that is a raging river of blessing that makes the body flourish with fruitfulness. And I'm speaking not of the priest, but I'm speaking of the church. That the, the head is blessed and the body is fruitful. There's one more image like this in Zechariah 14 where not only do you get that image again of the river flowing out of the temple to water the whole earth. Uh, there in Zechariah, it's flowing out of Jerusalem, I believe, not the temple. It's flowing out of Jerusalem to water the whole earth. It's the same image. But there at the end of Zechariah 14, holiness has descended from the head of the priest to the bells of his garments to the bells on the horses in Zechariah 14. Those of you familiar with that passage, you know what I'm talking about. The, the holiness has been transferred and has flowed from the priest to everything so that even the bells of the horses are transcribed with the phrase holiness to Yahweh of hosts. And then you get this also, the dishes and the utensils of the temple are inscribed with holiness to Yahweh of hosts. But then the utensils and the pots and the pans of the houses are transcribed with the motto, holiness to Yahweh of hosts. So in Zechariah 14, holiness spreads out from the temple. It spreads out from the priest. So even the pots and the pans and the bells on the horses are sanctified and set apart for God. And so this is how God works the dew from the top of the mountain becomes the raging river down in the land. The blessing that falls on the head is enjoyed by the body. And by this covenantal blessing, God blesses us in and through our covenant head, our Lord Jesus. And through this covenant blessing, God keeps his promises to his people. He keeps his promise to them to bind them up, to unify them, to keep them together in harmony dwelling together in pleasant brotherhood. It is only in the church. It is only in the church under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It is only in the church under the leadership of the Holy Spirit with order under the ordained leadership that we can ever have brotherhood and harmony. There are always experiments to manufacture brotherhood. There are all these attempts to draw people together as comrades in different ways. But apart from God's blessing and apart from following God's order, there is no lasting unity among men. It is impossible. It is impossible to achieve only through the order that God has instituted. And so God has called men through his church to be those who protect and keep and order our society together. And it is up to us to honor them, to listen to them, and to follow them. And so we give thanks this day that the Lord has blessed this congregation by stirring up men to serve his people. We get to set them apart and we get to ordain them to service today. And we pray that as the Holy Spirit is poured out on them as dew falls at the top of Mount Hermon, so we are blessed. So God's richest blessings flow to the rest of us, and we are kept secure, and we are unified, and we are a brotherhood, and this is good, and this is pleasant, and this is sweet. It can't be found anywhere else on earth, and it is so right, and it smells so good.